Project A Podcast. Hi and welcome to the Project A Podcast. We've talked a lot about business intelligence and how to build a data-driven business in the last episodes. And today we're going to wrap up the topic and share with you some takeaways which hopefully you're going to be able to use for your business. And for that, we have our special guest, uh, Rainer Berak. He has been your host for the last four episodes, and I'm sure he will be able to share some insights with us. Hi, Rainer. Hi. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to hear what has been your greatest takeaway and that you tell us a bit more what you have learned. But before we do that, I want to know a bit more about you because I'm sure our listeners don't know you that much and just for those who haven't listened to us before Kaina is our COO here at Project A and yeah I'm curious to know like how did you get where you are today and has there been someone like a mentor or some or another person that has uh, inspired you um, to to be where you are uh-huh. so Before I came to work with Project A, I think I have uh, had absolutely no touch point with the startup industry, I think. Um, I've worked in pretty much every other organizational form that is probably out there. I've done my years in, uh, in the consultancy at Accenture. I've worked um, at FIFA and UEFA, which was a great time. I'm a big football fan and, uh, and, and obviously that, that was a lot of fun. Um, I've even worked at a corporation. I've worked at Adidas for some time in the strategy team. Um, so I've basically done everything but startup before uh, and then ended up here. Uh, reason is probably, well, I, I think one is as often it's, it's the personal network. I, I had the, the, the joy of working with Christian Weiss, a former uh, uh, founding partner here at, at Project A uh, at World Cup 2006. Um, I think after that tournament, Christian went to Berlin and was heavily involved in the whole start and story of, of Rocket Internet. Um, I also, when I worked for Adidas, uh, I, I was hired back then by T. Sander, who is still one of the partners here at Project A. And he was the one uh, who hired me at Adidas. And so I, I always had, a, had probably some, some link with the people working here. I think when it comes to skills or, or what I do is wherever I worked, My focus was always on uh, uh, process enhancements and, and project management. I did that in all my jobs and uh, I think when they asked me to work here at Project A, that is exactly what we needed here. When we do our operational jobs, we work together with, with, with our companies, with our operational teams and they are all specialists and it helps to have some generalists um, along with them. Um, who helps to structure projects and, uh, and, and get the best out of them. So that is what I came here to do and uh, that's what I've been doing since and then basically like uh, made my way through the organization and yeah, ending up in the position that I have here today. Yeah, so it seems as you say it's networking but also like a bit by chance, right? Yeah. And interesting that you say that because someone who knows you very well told me that, uh, well, you come from one suburb between Dusseldorf and Köln and that you actually studied education. So it's 
<laughs> very interesting like uh, the story you just explained like how you got into the VC industry yeah. and I'm wondering for people who are maybe starting their careers uh, would you say like where you grow up what you study is really like something that determines your path where you go once you are you grow older I mean I don't I don't want to give too much wrong advice to people I can just say for myself um, so it's true I studied education um, all my ex uh, like uh, university colleagues are now probably working in the field of, field of, uh, of adult education um, uh, and, and I actually never did that for me personally it always helped me to apply what I learned at university but it never determined uh, what I did and I like to see the world in a different way, way where I apply the skills that I have uh, in, in, a, in a field that that, that can make good use of it and where I have the feeling that I can can move things and I to, to me personally feels like this is a healthy way to look at it nice and would you say there's one person in concrete that has uh, yeah, you asked about the you? mentor yeah uh, yes um, well when I was working for Accenture I had this guy Jochen Klein who was officially my mentor and he was also the manager on most of my projects uh, there and he was that kind of guy who was really good at something but he would combine that with other aspects in a very nice way he always had very high expectations to the team but always uh, paired that with humbleness so he would never get nervous if you wouldn't like as a, as a junior colleague do something in a perfect way but he would rather really help you um, he would always have an extreme pragmatism to everything. I mean, like to an extent that could be annoying to people almost. Like, I remember a situation um, where he was actually playing golf and I just came along because I also wanted to look at it and, and see if, if that could be interesting for me. And he took one of these golf clubs, you know, that you use usually for putting. Mm -hmm. And he was going with it to the driving range just to look at how the other people react. And somebody came to him and gave him a very, uh, a very, um, some, some advice telling him that this is not the right club. And he pretended a little bit uh, like being stupid just to then like hit the ball and actually like, I don't remember, but the, the ball went like 160 meters. I don't know if that's a mm -hmm. realistic number or so, but he would do these things just, you know, to show that you can be pragmatic and you just use what you have and you don't have to make too much of a fuss about everything if you're good at something and you can just go the pragmatic way. He was also a good role model in, in teaching, developing people and he very much did this work hard, play hard. I remember after a project uh, that was successful, we didn't find ourselves at a fancy dinner or so, but we had just a, a, a little party. And I remember it all ended up with us at four o'clock in the morning somewhere in, in Western Poland, sitting at a fuel station and drinking beer from a can. And that was probably one of the best uh, team building I ever had. We had a lot of fun, it was a great time. We worked our ass off, but we also had moments like that. And the guys are still my friends. So yeah, that, I think that made him a great manager that he like created such moments. Wow, this really seems to me like maybe some of this pragmatism and even like what you describe, like this culture, it's applied as well here at uh, Project A somehow. We try it, yeah. So that's nice. Yeah. You you brought that, so... I hope so, yeah. yeah. That's, that's one of the things I try to do here, yeah. 
Cool. Okay, so let's dive into the topic now. Um, Raina, you built up the venture development team here at Project A and then you transitioned to COO. So can you tell us a little bit what was your relation to business intelligence during that time? And when did you realize, if you did realize at some point, that business intelligence is really important for businesses? Well, I would like to claim that due to the fact that I'm a bit older than most people here, um, I have always thought the way that taking decisions should be based on data. I mean, like when I entered the startup world, I was at the beginning often uh, surprised. Um, now that I look at it and, and, and I know it a bit better, it makes sense. But what I see is that decisions are often happening super fast and a lot out of experience and therefore also with a, with a, with a good element of, of gut feeling. And I have a lot of respect for that and I appreciate that very much. But it means that we have a lot of situations where people just take a decision and they don't like group their thoughts around uh, data and hard facts and, and, and ratio and the best you would get out of that. And I also appreciate very much about our industry that we are working in here now, um, that wherever there's the time, there's the possibility, people go back to this rational approach. But I think in essence, that's what BI is. It is like the way back to taking rational decisions in fields where you can, because you can have data. Would you say then yourself that you are data driven in that way? Me, myself, uh, totally. I think those of those who know me privately would probably have a laugh because I'm the type of person who, I mean, I'm making a plan for pretty much everything I do and I try to decide everything based on data instead of gut feeling. And I'm actually quite lucky to have people around me who, uh, who can bear that uh, or even appreciate that. Okay, so actually you should almost be in the business intelligence scene, right? I think I lack quite some skills, but it's good that we have the people who are really good at it. Yeah. So, at least you have the mindset, which, as we will talk about, it's a very important thing. But um, to sum up all those conversations you had in the last episodes, can you maybe tell us what has been your biggest takeaway? Mm -hmm. So, as I said, I think BI is, in a, in a lot of ways, bringing us back to taking decisions based on ratio, which is what we do in our culture, right? I mean, we... We would usually like take informed decisions and information is usually based on, on, on data. And that's what we always wanted to do. And I think in our industry, certain areas popped up and came on fast, like in product management. Uh, in the past, in the earlier days, probably you just had to take decisions on which features to put in the backlog and you brainstorm that and then which features to prioritize high for implementation, etc. And that just had to be done and it had a lot of magic about it and I found very interesting what Thomas said in the fourth episode that this is more and more now done um, again based on data which, which makes a lot of sense but that was probably just not usual and possible in the earlier days and one takeaway is that really um, that way of thinking is like taking its way into every aspect of what we do again. 
And it's, I think it's not only product management, it's in recruiting, it's in, in talent acquisition, it's in, in basically every area that we work in. So it's basically having an impact and changing all departments in a, in a business. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's, and, and that's, I think that was an interesting learning. I think that is really the way we in our culture usually work, right? I mean, we, we, we take informed decisions. And then we open up some new areas where it probably wasn't always possible. But now we go basically back into taking the rational decisions based on data now that we can do that. Do you think this is uh, like we in Project A or in general the industry or the startup industry? I think it's in general. I think it's in, in the whole industry. Okay. I, I think I see that. Yeah. Cool. And would you say... There has been something surprising that you've learned as yeah. well, something that you didn't expect. Yeah, and I think, again, it's very related. I think what, what surprised me is how much is not yet done. I mean, how big the gap is, and again, this is not Project A, this is not our ventures, I think this is in general, maybe even not only in our industry, but in general, how big the gap is between the theoretical level in that specific topic and what's really implemented. If you look at the the topic of marketing and to learn that um, a lot of ventures, if not most companies out there, optimize how they spend their marketing based on last click attribution, which is very close to no attribution. It's surprising. It's probably also understandable, but it also means there's still a lot of potential to, to close this gap. Another one is probably uh, to see how often BI is still understood as this old classic financial reporting thing and not like um, preparing data-driven decisions for people working in actual processes. Hmm. Yeah, you talked in one of your episodes about BI having started really with finance, although uh, maybe here in Project A, but also applied to startups, it, it really focuses more on marketing, right? In the startup industry, uh, yeah, and, and actually everywhere, marketing is one of the hot topics for, for the reasons that, that we talked about in the third episode. There's a lot of money spent. You have a lot of data. You have um, every information in a digital form. You have all the tracking mechanisms. So you, you have a lot of interest to do it and you have the ability to do it. And that both comes together with all the big spend that is done there. So, so it's understandable that it's the nucleus and then you take it from there into all the other areas. Hmm. Yeah, definitely really interesting all that you can do with uh, business intelligence. On the other side, it's completely overwhelming as well. And that's what I want to go into right now because it can be overwhelming. So a founder of a startup who's, who wants to, to start a data-driven business, uh, how and that has limited resources as usual, right? So, mm -hmm. what would you recom recommend him to do? How should he or or she get started? Mm -hmm. So, I think the the first initial question is not so much should I build a data warehouse. I think the first thing every founder should do in general, uh, besides all the analysis and which business model to to uh, to go into and etc., is that you should think about how you want to win your competition, where you have the biggest levers to do so, and where you have to avoid uh, weaknesses. Being data-driven is not an end in itself. You have to avoid treating that as a buzzword that investors would like to hear. Um, I think that is actually something that I would recommend everybody uh, to do very carefully. If you just throw around uh, 
words like, yeah, we will do that, all based on a very fancy algorithm that we will implement, etc., that might help you to get the next funding round, but only if it really makes sense and if you actually really do it, it will get you somewhere and only this way you will get anywhere close to build a, success, uh, a successful business. Um, yeah. So can we can we maybe get into what is what are these specifics that um, that help help you become successful at business intelligence? Are there maybe some concrete or key requirements you need to build a data driven business? Yeah, I mean there there are the things that are often talked about. Uh, yes, you need a data driven mindset. You need support on top level in your organization. You need a kind of sponsor. You obviously need good people on both the technical side as well as uh, on business side to understand how you want to do something. Um, in my opinion, the one additional thing that is really a game changer is you have to build your data supported thinking into your processes. And that's not a buzzword. Uh, process management isn't very popular in our industry, but if you don't define how something is done, so who is doing what and how, um, you will not have any way of making sure that it's actually happening in a data-driven way. And when we work with our ventures, our biggest challenge is actually not so much to provide data or to define where they are needed. The most difficult is to make sure that people really use it. So. In order to do so, you have to at least define the work of people to that extent. You can do that with process definitions, with checklists, with automation, but in whatever way, you have to actively take care that they do use the data for their decisions in their daily work. Okay, and before you mention um, data warehouses, and it seemed like this is not the main thing, um, when does it make sense to build a data warehouse and when doesn't it make sense? Yeah, I mean, you could also ask the question, what is actually a data warehouse? Where does mm -hmm. it start? We, in the past, in the, in, the, in the further past, we have built very powerful, big data warehouses and then we saw some reluctance to go into such complex implementation projects. So at some of our ventures, so we have built what we call a mini data warehouse. In essence, I would say, make sure not to lose any data right from the start, because you might need them at a later point and they might help you take decisions in the future. Um, and give the whole thing the complexity that makes sense and fits the size of your business in a given stage or situation. And I think that basically as, 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 as simple or abstract as that is, but I think that's the best answer to that question. And I, yeah, and I think this is really down to earth advice and, and useful. So now let's talk about one of the issues that um, you discussed as well with some of the team leads. Um, have you encountered um, resistance or skepticism from some of our ventures when it comes to launching a business intelligence project? And if so, how did you fight it? Well, before we do an investment, being open to working in a data-driven way is a key for Project A. So that would play a role when we make an investment. That, of course, doesn't mean that we never face a situation where founders suddenly change their mind after investment was made. I mean, in the end, I guess we handle it the way we handle everything. Our operational approach is a very humble one. We believe that strong companies 
can only be built by strong founders. And you can offer your help, you can provide them with insights, but you can't force them into taking certain decisions or you can't force them into right decisions. So how can you fight resistance or skepticism? You can actually only do that by convincing. You have to show what it can bring to the table. And if a founder is a good founder, is a strong founder, that we believe is necessary to create a successful company anyway, um, they will understand that and then they will be open to that and they will go that way. Yeah, so basically it's about proving the value that you can bring and then you build trust this way, right? Absolutely, like with any other functional area as well. Okay, so in the last episode you talked with um, team leads here at Project A from different departments, from sales, uh, talent acquisition and organizational building. Um, can every single department be data-driven? What about <laughs> departments like my department, actually, communications? Uh, can this be data-driven? Absolutely. I mean, the areas in the fourth episode were nothing but examples based on recent projects that we did or, or that we still do. And they should show that BI can be used in every area, certainly also in communications and PR. I mean, when our team recently shot a video, when your team recently shot a video for our software company Spryker, which is now being used, I think, on their website. So if you go to spryker.com, you should see it running in the background. They have measured the impact of this video um, and they saw a heavy increase in conversion rate, etc. So um, absolutely. I mean, BI is more like a cross-functional thing that, that can help any of the other areas to, to, to do things in the best way. Uh, I think also the success of uh, public relations can and should be uh, measured. Same as in advertising, you want to target the people who are relevant for you with the right uh, messages and achieve something with them. So um, A-B testing and the measurement of results isn't probably as easy as in, I don't know, newsletter marketing or with SEA ads. But our communications team, um, ACOM, they're also sending out newsletters and we have a YouTube channel and we run a podcast, etc. So I think there's a lot we can measure and optimize. Yes, and I agree. As you say, there is a lot we can measure, actually. And thanks for uh, also social media analysis tools. I mean, we can get a lot of information. Yeah. But maybe really, as you already mentioned, the main thing is changing the mindset and maybe those uh, departments have been traditionally not so data driven but if they you know do not resist and get convinced about the value it can definitely become as well data driven so okay let's just uh, kind of closing question let's talk about the future uh, everybody's talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence how do you think this is going to impact uh, business intelligence teams are we going to have less people because we are training machines or what do you think? <laughs> so I mean to ask me about future and trends in that field which I'm not a specialist in um, I'll try my best to answer that but I think the most important about machine learning and AI and in my personal opinion is that it's a mistake to treat them as future topics or as trend topics um, we should understand that they are presence topics. I mean, they are here now and they're actually around for, 
for uh, decades probably. Um, they influence everything. They probably influence everything today a lot through BI or through the people and the things they build in BI because whatever is happening is mostly happening through data and through processing and that's what these guys and the things they build are, uh, are very good at. Um, the sales project in episode 4 um, on BI is a machine learning project for example that we have done and it shows how, can, how you can use something today and if you just think about it and if you find ways to apply um, a solution to your actual problem that you have now and you find people who have the right skills, you should just do it. You shouldn't like project these things like machine learning and AI into some crazy future that we sometimes see in movies or so. They are the topics of today or even yesterday. And the question is not what will they bring in the future. The question is how can I use them today for the problems that I try to solve now. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's going to be very interesting in the next developments uh, in business intelligence. So we will be tuned and see what happens. And well, thank you very much, Rainer. I think we're out of time. Uh, thanks for sharing your insights. Uh, before we close, I wanted to ask you something. Um, I heard the other day this and I wanted to see what you think about it. <laughs> I think that is some piece of absolutely excellent rock music, stoner rock to be more precise. I like it very, very much. And uh, I think I had my uh, stake in that. <laughs> I agree. I thought like, wow, this is a very cool sound. Like, have I heard that before? But I think the most amazing thing was when I found out that you were the singer in that No, band. no, I wasn't the, si I, the so singer. I did some background shouting or so. Okay. But uh, I, I, was, I, I was one of the two bass players that, that this ah. band had. And... Uh, yeah, funny. Actually, the, 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 some of that stuff is still online, but uh, the band doesn't exist for something like 10 years or so anymore. But yeah, that was a great time. It was, uh, it was a hobby. Uh, I think at some point we all thought we would really end up being like rich, famous rock stars. Uh, we, 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 we are not. Uh, <laughs> but whatever we do here at Project A, I think is so much also rock star like that. I think that's that's all right. I agree. <laughs> well, this was very cool and very surprising to learn that about you. Again, <laughs> thank you very much, Vaina, for your time. Thank you very um, much. I've been Nora. I'm from the communications team here at Project A. And today I was your host and I will be as well together with Manu and Daniel, your host for some other episodes. So see you next time. For listening to the Project A podcast. If you haven't done it yet, please subscribe on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. And if you enjoy the podcast, we'd be thrilled if you left us a review and gave us five stars on iTunes. This means a lot to us and helps us reach more people just like you. See you next time.